0: Good morning, Church 21. Good morning. Okay, so there's four of you that realize that you, the human, breathing, living people, are the church. So just as a joke, it's that um, Church 21, we believe that this building, this theater, is not the church of God, and that all of you are. So I'm going to try it again. Good morning, Church 21. Good morning. That makes me feel good. Um, So I just want to introduce myself before I start. I'm Trenton Walker. Um, and my wife, laurie Fournier, is right there. Hi. <laughs> People really don't know who I was pointing at. Just anyways. Um, we've been married for nine years and we have two children, uh, two girls. Liliana, who's six, Abigail, who's four. Um, and just as I was preparing for this morning, I told them that I'm gonna be the, the preacher this morning and asked, do you guys wanna sit with mama and listen to my sermon? And they both had different, like varying answers. Lily said, no, it's gonna be boring. I um, asked for some like her to go like, a little bit further with her explanation and she said, well, not boring for like, big people, just boring for little people. So I hope it's not gonna be boring for you today. Um, and then Abigail said, well, no, I, I wanna have a snack. So, and anyone who knows Abigail from Kids Zone, you know that that's what she would say. And it, then she realized, oh well, I'm maybe I could have my snack in the in the sanctuary that, or in the theater because then I could uh, be with you. But I, I let her go to Kids Zone. And so, um, yeah, I love my kids. I love my family. Uh, I came. I come from Ontario. I've been in Quebec for nine years, um, living on the south shore, uh, which is just. There's other places other than Montreal. And so if you leave this island um, and go like 20 minutes to the east, uh, there's a town called Chamblee and we live there. Um, And uh, we've actually been serving in Quebec uh, through a parachurch ministry called Child Evangelism Fellowship, just focused on reaching kids with the gospel for these, these past nine years, and since October, I recently came on to the church staff as a pastoral apprentice, and so um, they're giving me opportunities like this to, to preach, and I'm so thankful for them, and uh, so just before I start today, I'd love to just take a moment in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us, and that you want to make yourself known through your word, and that uh, and as we look at Micah 4 today, God, I pray that uh, your spirit would speak to our hearts and that your spirit would speak through me, God. I pray that I'd be um, your Your vessel for for sharing what, the word that you have uh, for the church to hear today. And uh, I thank you for your love. And I also thank you for your judgment because that makes you perfect. And I, uh, I just pray uh, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The night is darkest just before the dawn. So this quote is actually attributed to a theologian from 1650. Um, I learned it from Harvey Dent in Batman, The Dark Knight. So that's who I attribute learning it to. Um, So let's read that again. The, The night is darkest just before the dawn. I was thinking to myself, is this statement even true? Or at least literally? And I found that no, it's not. The darkness of the night varies all night long. Uh, but the, the point of the statement is that when things get right to their worst, just before uh, it doesn't seem like it could be any worse, they, they, they'll start to improve. And so the question in that moment when things are getting to their very worst is what are you putting your hope in for, the, for things to get better? And uh, in the dark night, uh, Harvey Dent was a politician set to clean up Gotham and make Batman obsolete. And so this was good news for Gotham, and this was good news for Bruce Wayne, Um, but things didn't really turn out the way they were hoping. And for any of you who watched this movie like 10 years ago, you're like, I'm gonna go home and watch that this afternoon. And everyone else is like, well, maybe, like I'll check out that weird old video, that movie that he's talking about. But anyways, (laughs) hope is important. And hope is powerful. But who can you put your hope in when you're disappointed time and time again? And so through the last few chapters of Micah, we've been seeing that the people of God have chosen to go their own way. And instead of following God, they're living their life in their own way. And Micah is warning them. This is what we've seen through uh, Micah chapter one to three. And now today we're looking at four, is that He's been warning them of the judgment of God that will come upon them. Uh, on those who are, are like praying on the weak, who are taking advantage of the weak. And God wants his people to know he's not gonna stand by while they do this. He's tasked people with caring for others. And those people are taking everything from people for their own gain. And so at this point, the people of God, they're placing their hope in their ability to change their circumstances. And they're they're placing their hope in their king. And the outcome of this has really come to a point where the people of God are destroying each other and they're being destroyed by enemy nations. So as I was preparing for this, this sermon and as I was reading through Micah uh, 1 to 3 and getting to 4, I'm thinking, is there any hope for the people of God? And hope is offered and just at the right time. And so... This hope comes as a future hope. And Micah 4 is all about hope. There's, there's four messages or oracles, which are prophetic uh, uh, teachings to, or messages to the people, and their hope that God will rescue them. So the people have been following their own way. And what has that brought? It's brought suffering on them. And Micah's message uh, to the people of God is that there's a future hope that can bring faithfulness in the now. And so we're going to look at that together now. Uh, So Micah 4, 1 to 5. It shall come to pass in latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, and it shall be lifted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come, uh, say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from, uh, from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken for all the people walk each in the name of its God, but we walk in the name of our Lord forever and ever. So this message is one that God wanted his people to hear. This is a powerful message and God wants his people to hear them and have this message and have a future hope and he wants you to hear this message today. In the beginning of Micah 4, we see a hope that one day God will establish himself above all other gods and all nations will come to worship him. So we go from Micah 1 where we see uh, that God warned uh, or Micah warned of God's judgment that would come down in mountain melting Uh, force to hope of him establishing his lordship and sovereignty over all the earth and so i didn't put it in the slides but i'm just going to read that verse micah 1 3 and 4 for behold the lord is coming out of his place and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before fire like water poured down a deep place a steep place so we're going to go from, from hearing about that, that judgment that God would bring upon those who are serving injustice to the hope that God wants his people to hear, that God wants you to hear. And so this message actually carries truth that we all desire to be true. So I'm going to list out uh, the, some of the things that we can learn from this message that under God's lordship, the nations will learn his law and walk in his ways. And a little later, we're going to look at what, what does it mean to walk in God's ways. Under God's lordship, there's peace. Weapons of war are being recycled. They're being turned into tools. They're recycled into tools to serve each other. And we, we've seen in previous chapters that people were taking advantage of their neighbors, but now they're going to take tools of war uh, that they were using against each other, against other nations to serve each other for the good of their neighbors and not for destruction. And in this peace under God's lordship, there's going to be prosperity and a time for rest. And when we see that the, the reference to the vine and the fig tree, those are images of rest and prosperity in, the, in this time that this text was written. And so you may be here and you're all in on what the Bible teaches and you believe you believe that it's true or you're here and you don't believe the Bible has relevance for today. And all of you are hearing this passage and, and you're thinking, how long ago was this? Uh, because when I look outside today, I, I don't see all the nations believing in one God. I still see weapons of war, and there's not peace and prosperity and rest for all. And you're right. So this hope given in Micah 4 w- was not yet a present reality for them. And it's still today a promise of hope for us. And it's a promise of hope for when the whole war- earth is under God's lordship. So what did it look like in Micah's day? Well, the nations did not come to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. They were, uh, and it, they were actually coming, and instead, they're raiding and pillaging and destroying. And we see that there's the kings of Assyria attacking Jerusalem, attacking the people of God. And Israel could not bring about this, this hope, uh, this promised reality on, in their own actions. Uh, and what we've seen previous chapters is that their own way of finding prosperity and hope and peace and rest, this was all at the expense of the poor and at the, the expense of their neighbors and and ultimately it was at the expense of their own well-being. So their actions were going to bring the full weight of the judgment of God on them. So what is the point of this message? If the If the hope was not to be a present reality, is God just making empty promises? And I know that God is faithful and that he keeps his promises. So this future promise in this passage should have reminded God's people of his faithfulness. And in the past, they've seen time and time again God's faithfulness and it should have caused them to deepen their devotion to God in the present. So a promise that could be fulfilled in the present based on what we just read is that through faith and trust to God's word to them, the people of God could catch a glimpse of the promised hope, of the promised day, of when the whole earth is under God's lordship. But this is only through love and devotion to Yahweh. And, and through that, they could start to affect those around them in a positive way, instead of, instead of serving injustice justice and, and taking what they could for themselves. So what this passage is, is teaching us is that the, the, the people of God, we don't need to live like other nations. We don't need to live cheating, lying, and stealing, and destroying each other. And spe- specifically for God's people, he was calling them back to a mutually invested relationship. And, and the, the, the result is that anyone who is passionate about something will start to affect those around them. So I was thinking about this. What does this look like? And, and I realized... Um, a friend that would really help illustrate this. Does anyone have a friend that drags them into experiencing new things? Yes, I see some hands. Um, Is anyone that friend? The person that drags people into experiencing? And there's some friends over there sitting one and then the other. That's pretty funny. So I have a friend who travels a lot. He experiences a lot of new things, Uh, a lot more than me, and he often comes to visit and, uh, and every time he comes to visit, there's always something he's very passionate about. And he's also passionate about how it will really enhance my life. And recently, the subject has been rock climbing and specifically bouldering. Does anyone like rock climbing here? Yes? Yes, and you're looking at me and you're thinking, well, this guy's not really built for rock climbing. And it, that's true. Over the past like six years, my body has been adapting to being a dad, and I think I've achieved that. But. <laughs> But my friend, he wanted me to experience this because he loved the sport. um, And his, uh, so we went bouldering and his passion for it really got me excited and interested. And uh, ultimately, I wouldn't say that he's devoted to rock climbing and bouldering, but his love and passion for the sport got me interested. And I wanted to learn a little little bit more about it. And to go even further, it was like while he was staying with us, Every time, like I was working from home or he would come into Montreal while I was working from Montreal, he'd be asking like, does your schedule allow for us to go to the climbing gym today? He wanted to be there all the time. And so ultimately what I'm saying is that when you love something and you're passionate about it, it's going to affect those around you. So if you're passionate about what God is passionate about, that's going to affect those around you. So the takeaway for the Israelites, the God's people, that applies to us today. So it's when you devote yourself to loving God and those around you, you're going to be able to catch a glimpse of the coming day, of what that will look like when all the nations are submitting themselves to God's lordship. And so what would a glimpse of that look like today? Recently, we heard a story of Botham Jean, who was in his home, and Amber Geiger mistakenly entered into his apartment and, and thought that he was an intruder. And she shot him twice, and he died. And she was convicted of murder. And at the sentencing, the victim's loved ones and family was allowed to approach the court uh, and address Amber Geiger. And Brandt, Botham's brother, he spoke directly to Amber, and he, he said to her that he wanted to forgive her, and he asked even if he could give her a hug. And he what he said was, if you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. So God does keep his promises. In this example, when we see Brant committing himself to loving God, that affected the way that he was treating Amber. It, it gave us an opportunity to have a glimpse of what that day will look like when we all are submitting ourselves to God's Lordship in our lives. And if you're here today, and you don't believe the Bible has any relevance, would you just take a moment to consider if what God promises under his Lordship is something that you would agree is good? So there's no war. There's peace, rest, unity. Do you want this? And if yes, is it actually something that's possible to to see today? These things are, are all things that I hope we should all be able to agree are good and desirable, but that's not what the world looks like today. We can only get like, capture these glimpses of this peace and rest and that, that, we're, that we desire for. And ultimately, we still, we still see pain and destruction and more. And this was also the reality for God's people. They, they were surrounded by pain and destruction. So we're going to continue reading in Micah. So now it's verse 6 to 8. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away, and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock of um, flock of the hill of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. So Micah 4, 6-8 is a message of future hope that Yahweh is going to bring about now. The promises were to the lame, the scattered, uh, to the injured, and they were promises of great hope because of the current circumstances in Jerusalem. So, between the invasion of the Assyrian kings and the ba- Babylonian captivity, uh, there were certainly many who were experiencing true brokenness and pain at, at many levels. And in verse eight, God promises to heal that brokenness. I've seen at what what times can can feel like overwhelming hurt in Quebec and brokenness and. This actually, over the past nine years, started to become an an area of discouragement for me that I felt creeping into my heart. And it it was the realization of the immense hurt and brokenness that I saw in people's lives around me. And in a time of prayer, God really pressed on my heart. You see brokenness. I see hearts that I can heal. Trust me. Wow, that was really encouraging for me to, to just have that pressed on my heart. And this is the hope that the people of God were were longing for. And this is the hope that that we all need is that God is promising he will he will care for the hurt. And even in that moment of prayer God clarified brokenness in my own logic. The only reason I have a burden for the hurting and and the broken to be healed by God is because of God. So I love that sometimes God just has an awesome sense of humor when he when he reveals things to us. And so in contrast, I wanted to share with you that recent studies have shown that residents of Quebec consistently rank as the number one happiest province in Canada, okay? And beyond that, one paper went really above and beyond to, to create a scenario to see where would Quebec rank if, if it was its own country. Yeah. So <laughs> in this hypothetical, reality, Quebec ranks as the number one happiest country in the world. What? Yeah. So I hear some cries of like surprise, and that surprised me. And do you believe that that's true? Because when I, uh, it's unanimous. That's good. Because when I read that, I thought about what about the suicide rates in Quebec? And what about all the people suffering from real depression. So many people in my in my circles I know that are suffering from depression. And what about the fact that nearly every month one point nine million Quebecers request food assistance? Do you know the population of Quebec? That's over a seventh of Quebec is requesting food assistance every month. So I don't believe that this study is true. I do believe that this study is possibly showing that Quebec is number one for hiding sadness. (laughs) And the reason I think that is because we all experience hurt and brokenness in our lives. We're going to continue reading because the Bible declares that God offers salvation and freedom for this hurt and brokenness. But we're going to see that his people in this time in Micah we're going through such terrible pain and hurt so we're going to continue reading now why do you cry aloud is there no king in you has your counselor perished what pain seized you like a woman in labor writhe and groan o daughter of zion like a woman in, in labor for now you shall go out from the city and dwell among the open country you shall go to babylon there you shall be rescued there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. The third message of hope found in Micah 4, 9-10, is a message of salvation from current pain. We see that the, the, the people of God following their own way is causing them great pain and suffering. And, and the pain is compared to the nation being like a woman in childbirth. So the pain is not entirely clear. It's not explained. This is why you're in such pain. But in Micah 9, he asks, why don't they get help from their king? And it's it's interesting because God had warned his people of the pain that would come with human leadership when they appointed their first king, Saul. And the king in these days was definitely a part of the cause of the pain that they were suffering and and ultimately powerless in providing the Israelites with salvation from their affliction. And so in this pain, we actually see a journey. It's a journey from the promised land into exile, out into the open land. It's the opposite. Verse 10 is the opposite journey that the Israelites took when they went from Egypt in bondage and captivity into the open land, open the country, and went into the promised land. It's the reverse. It's terrible. They're they're going out of the promised land into the open country and into exile. But God promises that he'll redeem them and because he cares for the hurt and the broken. The Israelites, God's people, were losing something that they deeply cared about. And what happens for us today when we lose something that, that we love, when you lose something that's so precious to you, when you lose something And this causes you real pain, and and it might even cause you to cry out in pain. This summer, at a a drive-in theater on the South Shore, a four-month-old girl died, was killed in a tragic accident. And my mother-in-law was actually at the drive-in theater, uh, and she saw the ambulance and the police arriving, but she heard the cries of the mother long before they arrived. And what do you do in this kind of pain? here's what the Bible teaches. God wants each and every one of us, God wants you to experience his healing for brokenness, his care for you, but we're cut off from it. Where's the good news? Is God, if God's judgment is real, what about his love? So you might not believe in God's existence, but you're here today, so please don't check out. Please take the opportunity opportunity today just to, to hear what the Bible teaches about God. God's judgment is real. So is his love. So what is it? Will God bring judgment on me or does he love me? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. God loves you and he will judge you. There is good news and we're getting to it. So we've talked a lot about what it looks like living God's way. We all choose to do things in our own way instead of living God's way. And what is that? God's way is to live a completely perfect life. So if your way is not God's way, which is living in complete perfection, then you're acting against God and everything outside of God's way will ultimately bring pain. We do things that bring pain to others, those around us, and bring pain to ourselves. And because of that, we all experience brokenness. The Bible says that the debt we owe for living according to our own way is death and and that we're cut off from him, unable to experience his loving care for healing brokenness. But in his loving care for you, he came down to earth in two ways. Jesus came down to earth and that was God coming to earth and the presence of Jesus was one of servanthood, shepherding, and teaching. And Jesus was the only human to ever live on this earth that lived 100% God's way. So Jesus lived a perfect life, making himself the only human to ever live that did not deserve to be judged by God. The second way God came down to earth Is like what Micah described in Micah 1 3 to 4. We read it earlier. God's mountain crushing, rock melting, earth splitting judgment came down onto this earth, but onto one person. It came onto Jesus. Jesus was separated from God and he was crushed by God's judgment. He was crushed by the judgment that we all deserve. Jesus paid the debt we owe, which was death. Some people say that what Jesus did was as if you were in a courtroom, and just as the judge was about to serve his sentence, you cry out, I'm going to take their place, I'll pay the sentence. But this, this is inaccurate. In this scenario, the judge would look at you, maybe with sadness in his eyes, and he, He would have to say, you're next on trial for your own crimes. You have your own sentence to serve. So what made Jesus different is that he deserved no judgment. So when he offered to take our place and take our judgment, God accepted. Jesus suffered the judgment uh, from God and he, he paid our debts with his own life And he's now risen, alive, in all the glory of God, having paid the sentence for those who do not live the way God requires. Those who are imperfect, that's you and that's me. So you can choose to accept God's offer of hope, which is salvation, saving, life-changing hope that brings us up out of the pain of death into life. You may have come here today and your heart was crying out in pain or maybe you literally cried your lungs out and there is real hope to find freedom from that pain and that is in Jesus. John 5:24 says truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but he has passed from death to life. God wants everyone to experience his healing from brokenness. His healing is in Jesus. When you know and believe that Jesus came to take the punishment for your death, you're freed from the hold of death. In Jesus, you are freed from fear. So often our cries of pain are rooted in a belief that we're alone. We're separated. We're being punished. Our cries of pain are rooted in fear. And Jesus was separated for us. He was punished in our place so that we could live in fearless faith. Let's take a look at what Micah for 11 to 13 has to say Now many nations are assembled are assembled against you saying let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord they do not understand his plans that he has gathered them as sheaves on the threshing floor arise and thresh o daughter of zion for i will make your horn iron i will make your hooves bronze you shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. In Micah four eleven to 13, we find the fourth message of hope. And it's at a time that seems like a, the, the whole situation is hopeless. It's the darkest of the night. As far as timeline, it's very possible that in this very moment, that Israel has been um, invaded by Assyria in around 701 BC. And if this is the case, the people of God, if they looked around, they would see that just, there had been pillaging, destruction, and raiding all around them. And this was all for the glory of the Assyrian Empire. So this message of hope encourages the people of God that in a time of despair and fear, their enemy's success was only temporary. The attacking forces would be judged by God. The illustration that God gives to Micah is that the enemy nations would become like the sheaves on the threshing floor. So these sheaves are crushed by the ox, uh, the hooves of the oxen who are walking on top of them, crushing them. And so the message of God given through Micah was that above and beyond that the fact that the Israelites would be like the oxen, but they would be armored and unassailable. And this was probably a really amazing illustration in the time of uh, that Micah wrote it, but it's a little outside of our cultural understanding today. That's why I brought up the picture. Cause I was like, what does this look like? And the promise that God's giving the Israelites is that he would make Israel like the ox and the enemies would be like the sheaves being crushed under the feet of the ox. So if God's people was the ox and the enemy or the oxen and the enemy were the sheaves, what could the the sheaves do? Could they rise up and attack the ox? No, they can do nothing. And on top of that, imagine these ox are like decked out in armor, like something from the Lord of the Rings. It's, it's like redundant. It's, they're unassailable armored oxen. And in that, I really find there's the true depth of the hope that God is giving to his people. God wants his people to be able to cry out with fearless faith, I'm an armored ox, which is something that maybe none of you will leave here today saying. But it's that the time of victory is coming. When God intervenes, nothing can come against him. Nothing can change that. So at this point, any Israelite, any, anyone who is a people of God, who is listening, who is really listening to what God was saying through Micah, should have been experiencing a change of heart. That even if the whole world is against me, even if my neighbors against me, if, even if my own actions are against myself, I'm going to put my hope in God my God, that can mount, melt mountains and it, who is sovereign over every other name. In Yahweh, I have fearless faith. So if you're here today and you believe in Jesus as your savior, the one who has saved you from death, from judgment, you may be wondering, what, what does the Israelites being like an armored ox have to do with my walk with God today? God has established his church in Jesus Christ as an unassailable force to proclaim his greatness. We are not responsible for healing the brokenness we see. God is, and he uses the church, the living, breathing body of Jesus to proclaim his greatness. And in the great times of discouragement, God is always greater. We see brokenness. God sees hearts that he can heal. So the question is, do you trust him to do what he says he'll do and heal the brokenness in Quebec? Do you trust him in his love for you and his love for Quebec? Because the forces that are coming against us, the church, are rooted in fear. But God says that if God is for us, who can be against us? For we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. And the prophetic writing of Micah 4 was for the Israelites to have a faith and hope in what, was God, in what God was doing in the present and look forward with faith in what he had promised to do in the future. So today, through your love and devotion to Yahweh and fearless faith, you can share the truth of the good news of Jesus as a piercing light into the darkness of broken, hurting hearts. God will bring restoration. Restoration and salvation that he promises. So we can be eager to preach the good news of Jesus Christ here today in our city, in Montreal, in Quebec. Now, I build relationships with people, and I want them, I want people that I meet to know Jesus. So know that if you're my friend, I want you to know Jesus. But what had been happening in my life was that I'd be building a relationship with someone and my friend would know my beliefs. But when it would come the, the time just that I should really share the implication of the gospel in his life, in, in my friend's life, I, I had fear. I, I thought to myself, what, what if he rejected the gospel? Or what if he wouldn't want to continue in, in friendship? And so in actually making a friend, I forgot what it meant to me to be a friend to someone. Because for me, if you're my friend, I want you to know Jesus. I met a man in Montreal. And I should just preface this with the, the, the truth that me, I love making friends. So everyone I meet, I'm like, maybe he'll be my friend one day. And this guy, he was struggling with, with a lot of things. And he was, while I was talking with him, he was high. And I'll tell you, I... I boldly proclaimed the gospel to him and I did have fearless faith and I was wondering why? Why was it so easy? And I guess that because of his state, he was very open about the hurting in his life. He wasn't able to fit into what the rest of Quebec does and lie about the sadness that they're living. And his need for the gospel was so apparent. And because of his state, he was open to listening to what I had to say. And after I I had spoken with him, I thought to myself, I wish I could be this bold with every friend I have, with every opportunity I have to preach the gospel. And I even thought to myself, maybe I should treat everyone as if they were high. And then I realized that's probably not good advice. But I do believe that we, I, we have nothing to be ashamed of in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I realize it's like an oxymoron. Did Jesus die to take my shame so I could be ashamed to declare that Jesus died to take your shame? I'll have to say that again. Did Jesus die to take my shame so that I could be ashamed to declare that Jesus died to take your shame? The answer is no. Okay? The answer is that we do not need to be ashamed. We can boldly declare that we're not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. Whatever their identity, social location, ethnicity, or other human distinctive, the gospel is for them. And through the same faith that each believer initially receives salvation, we can live each day in fearless faith. So in closing... Today as you leave, can you declare, Andrew, you can just forward it. Can you declare, I have future hope. My hope in the future strengthens my love today. Maybe right now you don't feel like you can declare this. So my question to you is, what is your hope rooted in? Is it in your social status, or your relationship status, or is your hope rooted in finding peace and rest through your own actions? I've been praying for you this week, and my prayer today is that you'll place your hope in what God promises to do, and that you'll devote yourself to loving him and, and placing yourself under his lordship so that those around you are going to be affected. Can you leave today declaring, My cries of pain are healed? <laughs> I find salvation and healing for my cries of pain and my brokenness in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're experiencing pain right now. Will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you trust that God cares for you? Jesus took your judgment so you could experience the care and the healing for brokenness that God wants to give you. So don't cut yourself off from the hope that God is offering you. Can you leave declaring today, I have fearless faith to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. What does fearless faith look like as you leave the theater today? It's a faith rooted in future hope. A faith that causes you to affect those around you because of your love for God and a faith to believe that God can care for those around you and a faith to be unashamed to declare the name of the one who took your judgment so that you could receive this hope. Maybe you're struggling with one of these statements. Maybe you're not able to declare one of these things please don't leave today without just seeking prayer. There's going to be people at the front uh, who are ready to pray with you this morning. And if you feel like you're struggling with one of these statements, please come and seek prayer before you leave. And if you would feel more comfortable praying with maybe an elder or a pastor or your city group leader, someone that you know personally, please don't leave today without going to see them and, and asking them to pray with you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that my hope is well placed in you. I pray that I can live every day with a hope in you that will affect the way I treat those around me. I pray that this this could be the prayer of the church today. Thank you for healing my brokenness and continuing to do so. And thank you for your promise that you'll do that in Quebec. You'll do that in this world. You'll heal brokenness. And thank you that you've already done everything to make that accessible to us, through your Son Jesus Christ. And I pray that as you give us the desire to proclaim this hope, this good news that you've given us, I pray that we be unashamed to speak to our neighbor, to speak to our coworker, to speak to our friend and to preach the good news that is in Jesus Christ. If there's anyone who, who needs prayer today, I pray that you would, you would help them to go and to seek prayer so that we could all leave today declaring that we have future hope, our cries of pain are healed, and that we have fearless faith. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.